God of nations. anywhere in the world that is such a positive declaration calling for the blessing of God over a nation. And this coming weekend, next weekend, is our general elections. And I think it'd be great for all of us to lift our voices together to pray for godly government peace and blessing over our land. So can I invite you to lift your voice with mine as we pray for our elections, pray for God's will to be done, pray for His presence to be outworked. So let's begin to pray for a few moments. Father, we thank You. Raise Your voice with mine. Father, we thank You for this wonderful nation of New Zealand. Father, we pray Your grace, Your protection upon her. Begin to raise Your voices with mine. Thank You for this land, Lord. Thank You for godly governments. Father, we pray indeed Your kingdom come and Your will be done in this wonderful land. Blessed and prosperous, Lord. Father, we pray for godly governments, that, Lord, through the election process, that your will and your purposes will be outworked, that your name will be made famous in this land, Lord, not only in this land, but in the nations around the world. And everyone said, Amen. Well, God bless you. Give your neighbor a high five as you take a seat this morning. I... Uh, <clears throat> I just love that national anthem. It's so cool, isn't it? It's just absolutely good. Well, we've got elections next weekend, which is very good. I've got to say, I said to Sheridan, I said, Sheridan, I hope you're not making a hint with the colour of this building. And uh, 
<laughs> he said no. I said maybe you should paint it white for a week, but uh, he wasn't going to have that. So a very, a very warm welcome to you all. It's lovely to see you this morning. If this is your first or second time to activate, a very warm welcome to you. And as you leave the auditorium uh, this morning, we invite you to help yourself to a kiss bag uh, at the end of the at the back of the auditorium. There you'll find some details, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. So church, can we put our hands together to welcome our visitors? Great to have you with us this morning. Okay, who's had a birthday or a wedding anniversary over the last week? Any birthdays, wedding anniversaries? Can you come down to the front and join me over here? Help yourself to a crunchy bar, a chocolate bar. Well, Jordan, Mike. 21, eh, Mike? It's only two birthdays. Okay, Church, why don't we jump to our feet and clear this prayer of blessing over Mike and Jordan. So here we go. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favor, prosperity, purpose and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give them a big hand. Well, Pastor Sheridan is in Christchurch this morning. He's ministering at Westside Church with Pastor Michael Brown and Gillian Brown. And he has a clip for us, so thank you, Rob. Hey, everybody. This weekend I'm in Christchurch with Michael and Gillian Brown at Westside Church. Hi. Hi, great to have Sheridan with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm also with Andre and Hannah at the Rolleston Church. Hope you guys have a great weekend. See you soon. Awesome. Did you notice the way Pastor Michael said, it's good to have Sheridan with us, thank you? Sounded as though he's not going to give them back. I'm oh, sure he is coming back though, isn't he, Jan? Yes. Yeah. Hey, church, can we put our hands together to give a special welcome to Kay, all the way from Belgium? Lovely to have you with us, Kay. Can I say what I normally do, Kay? That's okay, Ray. Okay. Kay and I have this thing with Kay and Ray, and I go, it's a lovely day to see Kay. What do you say on this fine day? You're okay, Ray. <laughs> it's a nice way to go. So we do all this stuff by email. It just sort of gets a bit carried away, but we thought you'd let you into a little bit of our world. So welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. It really, really is. Well, a few highlights for you. On October the 8th, we have Activate Conference double portion. Activate conference. Yeah, let's put our hands together and give thanks to God for that. It's going to be a wonderful time. At Activate Conference, it's on a Sunday. There are two sessions, a morning session and an evening one. The morning goes from 9 to 12 and the evening from 6 p.m. with Pastor Pastors Wayne and Ruth Swift. So really encourage you to be part of that. It's going to be a wonderful time, 8th of October. And on Sunday, the 24th, next Sunday evening, we have the film Noble, about a woman, one woman who can make a difference. Really encourage you to come along to that with your friends. And on the 1st of October, we have Activate DNA. If you're newer to the life of the fellowship and would like to find out more about the history of Activate, the acts movements and the ministries that function in and through Activate, then we invite you to be part of that. There's going to be lunch. Provided, it's going to be a wonderful time to meet leaders and connect with one another, so it'll be really, really good. And this evening, with the Healthy Me program, we have Chris Hubbard 
speaking on spirits. So I really encourage you to come. It's going to be a wonderful time. Well, how are you doing, kids? Good, good. Great to see you. You ready to go? Okay. Hey, stop. I'm not, listening, not good at listening to instructions. Here we go. So under five out that way, over five out that way. Fantastic. Thank you, teachers. You do a great job. Very cool. Well, Martin is going to come and share communion with us this morning. Let's give Martin a hand as he comes. Thank you, host team, for that. You guys are awesome. This morning, I want to read uh, Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he, gave, then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. This morning as you receive the bread and the cup, I ask you just to hold on with it. Um, Let me take it um, in unity, please. The bread that we take today is, it represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken at Calvary for us. It was his love sacrifice that underpins this whole thing. It's for free, but it didn't come cheap. It cost him everything. And I pray that today we receive it as we take it. We'll take it in unity, and we declare unity with one another. With all the other churches across New Zealand, we declare we are are united. We are one body, one bride, and we unite ourselves with the churches across this globe. It says, Lord, it wasn't for nothing. We are united with you. And as we take the cup today, I ask you to take it and ponder on this. Because Jesus said this cup is for the forgiveness of sins. It cost him everything. And... For all we need to do now is just to walk in that forgiveness. Just allow the blood of Jesus to wash our sins away today. You might sit here thinking, I do the same old thing over and over. You might sit here thinking, I'll never change. I'm too bad. I'm too worse. That one drop of blood can save generation after generation after generation. Just one drop of blood. So let's not underplay the power of the blood of Jesus. And today as we take that that cup let's also forgive because the same measure that we that we receive we need to give and if anybody has done us any harm and I'm not and I'm not underplaying any hurt I'm not underplaying anything there are people sitting up with deep hurts something bad's happened I'm saying release through the blood of Jesus release that person and as we release also if we have 
done something wrong to somebody else, let's go and fix that. We can't do this on our terms. This is his terms. And if we're taking this cup, we need to make sure that as we forgive, as we receive, we forgive as well. I, uh, as you know, I went through a divorce some years ago and only a, f- a few months ago, actually, I contacted my ex-wife and I said to her, really, I'm sorry for the things I've done. And we have, our relationship's fine, but I needed to officially do that. And I said, I'm sorry, because I know what I've done was wrong as well. I wasn't innocent. And I tell you, the freedom I received from that was awesome. So when you, re- when you set somebody else free, you are free as well. I want you to know this. So you are no longer bound by chains, by darkness. So as we receive forgiveness, we give the forgiveness today as well. Let's take the bread and pray. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us with love. We bless you for it. Thank you so much, Lord. As we take this, we are in one with you. When one with Jesus, we're answering the prayer of Jesus before the crucifixion in the garden and saying, we are one with you as you are one with the Father. Bless you for it. Bless this bread and bless this cup to our bodies. Amen. As we take this cup, take it and ponder, have a moment of just between you and Jesus. No one else really matters. It's you and Jesus. Now, he's the one that died for you. Take this cup and just ponder on that. Father, I pray that you help every one of us here to walk in your forgiveness and also give your forgiveness. Thank you for that forgiveness that today we can walk out here shoulders back for the sun sets free as free forever. In Jesus' name, bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Martin, for bringing that word. That was a good word. Let's stand to our feet. Let's close our eyes just for a second. Everybody close your eyes. And I wonder where, you know, right now, right now, you close your eyes and you think and you ponder on Jesus and you know if he was in the room here with you right now whereabouts is he is he got his arm around you is he he holding you up maybe for some people he's on the other side of the room like here he is over there maybe you feel distant and maybe he's so close you can't figure out where he is wherever he is, for you right now. Let's fix our eyes on him. Let's turn our gaze towards him.
And what's he saying to you right now? We listen to him right now. Let's take a moment to listen.
we were singing that awesome song, um, God was saying to me that we are his kingdom, we are heaven with feet on. So, you know, we sing these songs and the lyrics are all really nice and we get into it and it's all cool. But we are God's kingdom. We are kingdom focused. We are God's kingdom. So if you want heaven to come, you need to be heaven out there. It's all happy on a Sunday, but when you go into your workforce, you need to rise up in faith. When you go into your schools, you need to rise up in faith. God is with you. He is for you and not against you. So whatever you say and whatever you do, He is your protection and your guard. He goes before you. So if you want heaven to come, you want to see a real change in this country, in this city, in this 
area here, then let heaven come in you. Rise up in faith, step out, fear not, because God is there. He will go before you. As, as we're praising, can I encourage you just to open your hands to heaven? I believe God wants to lift our level of expectation this morning. God is not a God of limitation. He's a God of expectation. He is the God of hope, as Paul writes. So Father, as we are here, Father, I thank you that, Lord, it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Father, you long and desire for it to grow and to increase in its expression. And Father, I pray in every one of us that, Lord, we would realize with greater confidence that you're not a God of limitation. You're a God of expectation. You respond to expectation. And so, Father, Lord, today we lift our expectation in you. And Father, we receive afresh from you your grace, your power, your forgiveness, your strength, your enabling, your health, your healing, your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, you give it without limits. As far as the east is from the west, so have you separated our sins. Thank you that we stand here free. Thank you that we stand here washed in the precious blood of Jesus, just as though we had never done wrong. And Lord, it's all because of what you have done. So thank you for hope, the confident expectation that, Lord, you're with us. And I thank you. God wants you to know this, some of you to know this this morning. You don't have to beg before Him. It's His good pleasure to give His kingdom to you. He has given it to you, and it is His good pleasure for the government of Jesus to rest in you and upon you. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the awesome God you are. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be one. Lord, as we heard earlier, to be one with one another and, Lord, every church in this city and nation and nations. Lord, as we worship you, we give you all the praise. We give you, Lord Jesus, all the honor. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you, church. Give your neighbor a high five as you take a seat. Thank you so much this morning, band. Great stuff. Well, church, it's my pleasure to welcome Pastor Simon Motora this morning. Wonderful to have you with us, Simon. We honor you. We appreciate you. So come. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you, church. Good morning. Himanaki o kia katoa. May God bless you this morning. Um, enjoying this crazy spring weather? Hey, goodness me. Goodness me. Hey, um, it's been a neat service. Wonderful uh, sharing, Martin, around communion. Great worship. Thank you very much. <clears throat> when I was 16, probably about 30, 40 kilos ago, <laughs> I played for Waikato Secondary Schools and probably what was the biggest game 
uh, that I played at the time. And it was, uh, we played Scottish secondary schools. And we played on uh, Rugby Park. And it was this, you know, it was a huge game. And, and I, I always struggled a bit because I, I never really felt good enough to be there. You know, I was always comparing myself to the guys around me. It was my first year playing rugby. I'd had a couple of years playing league because my dad had said, if you don't join a club, I'm going to, you know, make you join a rugby team. Oh, because I just wanted to stay home and read books and comics and stuff. So. And so this is my first year of rugby, and I'm on Rugby Park, and we're under Rugby Park, and, and if you've ever been there, what do you do is you come out of the changing rooms, and then you walk out, and then you walk down the tunnel onto the field. And as we came out, um, our, our team line ran parallel with the Scottish team. And I came out alongside a guy called George Doddy Weir. Um, he went on to play, I don't know, 60-odd tests or something for Scotland. And, and apparently the stats say he's six foot six. Oh, I don't think that. I thought he was about 12 feet four. <laughs> and I remember walking out in the line and just going, like, it was terrible. I couldn't hide. I was just like this. And he looked down on me from this lofty height. And he had this head the size of one of those Easter Island statues. And he's looking down at me, this massive jaw. And then all of a sudden, he bellowed in this Celtic roar, this guttural cry. I, I have no idea what he said. But it, it just echoed and bounced off the walls. And before I even set a foot on the turf, I was psyched out. I kid you not, I was psyched out. I... I can remember bits and pieces of the game. We won. It was a great game. Um, but totally psyched out by this giant that I was going to be playing against. Come forward nearly 30 years, if you would. 30 years. And that's right, I'm still an athlete. Legend in my own mind. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm preparing for the World Masters Games at the beginning of the year, we put together a team, uh, a combined team from a number of clubs in Hamilton. Um, we entered a team in the over-40s division, and, and we thought, oh, this would be great, you know, because there's a whole lot of former All Blacks playing, guys like Peter Alatini, uh, Sam Tuitupo, Junior Tonu'u, and I thought, man, you know, these are the guys we grew up watching, you know, these are our heroes, and so I thought it would be neat to play against these guys. And so we get up there, and our opening game is against a side called the Suburbs Katipo, uh, and, and they were huge, you know, we were just standing around throwing a ball around and they're going through these drills and stuff and big guys. We hadn't played together, it was a bit of a, we were a bit rough, but, but we did well. Um, we lost 17-5, but we had four injuries, you know, in a squad of 25, that's quite a chunk. We had two guys busted their shoulders, someone else had a nose that bled the whole evening and uh, someone else copped a stray boot and got nine stitches. And so... We, we go off after the game, and, and I go and watch um, the other two teams in our pool play, and one of them is Auckland Marist, old boys. And I watch these guys, and they're these two massive teams just pounding each other. And I was feeling a bit beat up after the game anyway, you know. And we're playing Auckland Marist the next day. And I'm watching this game, and their forwards are huge. And their backs are fast. And there's some guys on there who are huge and fast. And, and I'm watching it, and I'm just, I'm just getting more and more dejected. Um, I'm tired. And it was quite funny. By the time I got home, the thought in my head was 
I took leave for this. I took leave for this. This is, you know, this is hard. And so I don't know if you know that, if you've ever heard that story where, um, where the guy says, you know, I don't want to go to school today. The kids are mean to me and the teachers are horrible. And, and his wife says, well, you're the principal. You have to go if you've heard that. And, and it was a bit like that for me because I was like, I don't want to go hard and mean and, you know, tired. You have to go. You're the captain. Oh, really? Okay. You know. And so, so we go along the next day, and it's on number one field. And so it's in front of the stands and all of the spectators too. So not only are we going to get smashed, everyone's going to see it. And I'm going, oh, man, this is all going on in my, in my head, you know. And, and if you know Auckland, the Auckland Marist Club, um, they, they're one of our premier national clubs, I suppose. They've produced all blacks the likes of John Kerwin, Terry Wright, Bernie McCarhill, Zinzan and Robin Brook. Isaiah Tuiava, Doug Howlett, just the list goes on. It's a premier club, and, and, and here we are, this throw-together bunch of guys are going to play them. And, um, and on my, you know, at my window, Fear's just tapping at the window, and I don't want to let him in, I don't want to listen to him, but all night he's just tapping at my window. You know? So we got to play, and one of the guys on the team is a guy called Kevin Nepier. And those of you who follow rugby, he's a former New Zealand Māori, All Black he won Super Rugby titles with um, the Auckland Blues. He played for the Crusaders. You know, he's quite a big guy, metre 90, massive. And, and so we start off in this game, and I take the ball, and I run up in the first ruck, and I run, I run quite wide, and there's just this wall of four massive guys. And I run, and I put my head down. I just get absolutely smoked, you know. And then Kevin Nepier tackles one of our guys, and he goes off with a broken shoulder. You know, it's just like, you know, say Agatha Christie novel. And then there were five you know, and, and you're going, gosh, how, how, how are we going to do this? And Kevin Nepia, if you can imagine a fridge on legs, if you can imagine, <laughs> it was just uh, such a hard man to stop. I remember at one stage trying to hold him up as he charged, and I felt like one of those rodeo clowns wedged between the horns of a bull as he carried me along. And... See, no one would see, no one would be aware of this because on the outside, I'm, I'm staunch. It's all cool, but on the inside, you know. And um, and we, but we played well. We played really well. We drew courage from each other. We we stepped up. We only went down 24-12. A lot of people were expecting us to be thrashed. Here's a picture of Kevin Nepia, um, with one of my teammates, Greg Petra, and he's six feet tall. He's leaning back a bit there, but Greg Petra, and he's six feet tall. He's one of our props. And there's Kevin Nepia. He's a lovely guy. Um, and I, I went and got a picture with him afterwards because he was one of my heroes growing up. A lovely fella. And so I got a picture with him too. Here's the picture. And I don't know about you, but when I first saw it, I was quite surprised because I went, oh, he's not as big as I thought he was. Now, Brett Bennett said to me, Simon, don't you tell them he's small because he's not. The man is huge. And he is. He's a big man and you don't quite get the sense of the barrel chest and how big he is. But, but I thought, geez, not as big as I thought he was. And I'm not as small as I thought I was. I'm not an insignificant human being at all physically, you know. Um, and I remember being surprised looking at this picture. This perspective issue is something I've grappled with all my life attributing greater size to the other and seeing myself as small in my own eyes. It's something that I've, I've grappled with. 
now don't get me wrong um you know i've stepped out and i've I've, you know i've stepped out and i've trusted god and but you know all the way along there have been those things where i've I've been afraid but I've, i've stepped out anyway but but nevertheless been small in my own eyes and it's what sin does sin distorts our view of god now sin often we think sin is doing bad things no that's simplistic that's behavioristic sin is more than that sin is Sin is something that has infected this world, so we don't see God as He truly is. My, my, I'm looking through a lens at God, and, and, and I see a God who's angry, or I have to plead, you know? Sin distorts who He really is, in my perception. And it distorts how we see each other, and how we see ourselves. And so this is one of the, the horrific things that sin does. We see ourselves through a distorted lens of fear and insecurity. And so to live a purposed life, to live in the fullness that God has for us, we at times face giants in the path that stand between where we are and where God wants us to be in the purpose that he has for us. Kevin Nepio was a lovely man, but biblically these giants intimidate us. They taunt us. They instill fear. They rob us of our strength and our joy and our rest. And we find ourselves overwhelmed and we shrink back into ways of being that we had long before we came into relationship with God through Christ. We slip back into old ways because we think that's all I'm up for. That's all I'm good for. So this morning I wonder, how do we overcome this perspective issue? And like I say, this is something I deal with through life and have dealt with through life. How do we overcome these giants, these towering, imposing figures, compared with whom we can seem so small by comparison? And as I say, they intimidate, they rob us, and they stop us from leading the purpose lives that God has for us, from stepping into the purpose that God has. So this morning I want to look at a passage where God's people have to overcome giants in order to enter into the purpose and promise that God has for them. And as we look, we're going to see probably just how important this perspective is in order for us to attain our God-intended purpose. So you know where we're going this morning. Numbers 13, if you would. If you're you're turning in your Bibles, go to Numbers 13, and we'll read from verse 25 soon. But in this passage, Israel have been delivered out of Egypt. They have seen God move mightily in in, in the land of the greatest civilized powers, and he has systematically demolished the pantheon of gods that Egypt worshipped, and Yahweh has led them out of Egypt fed them through the desert, and now they find themselves camped at the southernmost point of the land that God promised their father Abraham. 400 years they've been in slavery, and now they're on the cusp of entering into all that God has for them. They send through uh, a spy from each, a scout from each tribe, and they send these guys into the land to scout it out, and then they come back with their report. So we're going to read from Numbers 13, verse 25, so if you've got it there in your Bibles. 
Uh, let's read starting Numbers 13, verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. They, they came back, if you know the story. Uh, two guys, they had a cluster of grapes so large, they had two guys carrying it on a pole. I mean, how long would it take you to get through those? It'd be great. And they brought back pomegranates and figs and saying how prosperous and bountiful this land is. So they reported to the whole community, showed them the fruit. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. You know, God said it would be, and it is. A land flowing with milk and honey. And then they showed them some of the fruit that it produced. A land flowing with milk and honey. We've got a, you know, in a, in a, la in a time before refrigeration, in a time before electricity, to appreciate what's being said here. Milk had a sensuous quality. Milk had a thicker texture to water and wine. And there was something luxurious about it. It, it was, had a pleasant taste. And it spoke of bounty. And it spoke of prosperity. Because you couldn't have milk without cattle. And you couldn't have cattle without good pasture. We've got farmers here. You talk to them about it, you know, the science of it and the art of it. And, 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 and so you couldn't have cattle without pasture. And you couldn't have, have that many cattle where you had some just for milk and not for, not, not for eating if you, you, you couldn't protect them from wild animals or robbers and the like. And here was a land that was safe and bountiful. Milk. But not only milk, but honey. And honey, again, you know, sweet to the taste, known for its medicinal qualities, was a gift that would often be given of great value to people. And again, in a world before sugar, you know, you and I, we, we know sweet. Put some sugar in our coffee and our hot. You don't have sweet in this world. But honey, just like that. And so here's a land flowing, not dribbling, not trickling, not go and search out for it in the, 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 the corner. No, no, here's a land flowing with overabundance of milk and honey and all that shows that there's prosperity and bounty in this place. So God, it is true what God has said about this land. But that's not all the, that was there in the report of the scouts, was it? And so let's go back to Numbers 13 and we see that little conjunction, that, contra that contrastive conjunction, but that says it's not all that they have to say. So verse 28, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, and the descendants of Anak. Go down to verse 32. They spread this bad report, and fear starts to take root in the hearts of the people. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw Nephilim, giants, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we were like grasshoppers. Giants. Anak. Anak most likely means long-necked. Speaks of being tall. My iwi, where my father, where we papa to is Teroroa, the long ones, which speaks of the height. We had an ancestor who was so tall on the battlefield. They went, Tihei, uh, uh, Tihei, Teroroa, te, te, te Tangata. 
look how tall, behold how tall that man is. He's like a kahikatea. And so from, from his, his exploits, the iwi was named Teroroa, the long ones, the tall ones. And here you have Anak, the long net, the tall ones. And they are Nephilim, they are giants. And Nephilim's a strange word in the Hebrew, but when they, when they translated from the Hebrew to Greek, the Jewish scholars translated Nephilim, gigantes, giants. And so here are giants of whom Anak and and, the like. and so all of a sudden the scouts are going, these guys are huge, man. They are massive. And their eyes are filled with that. You know, and, and these, these pag- in the Bible, giants instill fear. They tend to be pagans. They, rebe- they rebel against God. And they, they intimidate God's people. They instill fear. Hey, the obvious image would be Goliath of Gath. Nine and a half feet tall, a warrior since his youth saying, there's no God in Israel. Come on, one of you, one of me. What a bunch of cowards. 40 days. All day. Saul and the men becoming more and more scared till a shepherd boy turns up and says, who's the son circumcised fool? But these giants, they intimidate. And these pagan giants know the words to say that strike us right where we are at our weakest. You, you, <laughs> you're too small for that. You're useless. Who do you think you are? You can't do that. You're too weak to overcome this addiction. You're just like your father, just like your mother. You'll never change. It's going to always be like this for you. Who do you think you are that there's better for you? Get used to it. Your life is always going to be this way. Pathetic. Just pathetic. Those of you who remember Pastor Graham Wilson, who used to pastor in this church, would talk about demon speak. And those sorts of words do not find their origin in the kingdom of God. They are demonic, and they rob us of our joy and our rightful place. And yet I find over a hundred times in the Bible phrases like, fear not, and don't be afraid. And you know, there's a context for that. Because if I walked up to Lance and said, hey, Lance, as, you, you know, as you're taking care of things, don't be afraid, he might be going, what? Why would I be afraid? See, because there's no context for that. So in order to say don't be afraid, there's got to be a context. Why? Because God's people appear to be afraid of stuff and facing fear. Why else does Paul say to Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, my son, but a spirit of, of love and power and a sound mind? Why did he say that? Why did God say so many times at the beginning of Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged? Why? Probably because there was an issue for Joshua. And so there are many reasons why, well, many causes for fear today. You know, we, we worry about our children's well-being, health scares, bad news from doctors, finances, the future. Oh my gosh, the future. We can't do anything about it, but gee, it creates anxiety global unrest, terrorism, or even, I wonder, just God's call at times. And we might get excited, but as we step out into it, we start to look through our own eyes and we start to see our smallness and our insignificance, and then the giants start looming large, and we echo the words of Moses and go, oh, who am I? And like Saul, we hide among the baggage rather than taking the crown. And like like Gideon, we hide in the winepress rather than stepping into a place that will see freedom for people. And we are shackled 
because of fear and intimidation. Fear torments us, it robs us, it gets a foothold and it looks to dominate us. And because giants loom so large, the scouts saw themselves as grasshoppers. Uh, here I've got uh, in the message, so um, here's the message version of it. We scouted the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Don't go there, man. Don't go there. It's bad. Why, even we saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants, alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. See, this is crazy. This is the language of insecurity. This is the language I know. I was, I'm fluent in this language. It's a language of insecurity because how the hang do they know what the Canaanites are thinking? But they just assume because they see themselves as small. They think I'm small. And I love, I've been really encouraged, Pastor Ray has spoken about when there's a gap in communication between people or a lack of communication, we interpret in the most pathological way possible often. And I find that to be true. We don't assume the best often. We interpret poorly. And so here we see, oh, we're grasshoppers in our own eyes. And sadly for Israel, you know, they hadn't learned to see themselves through God's eyes. They were God's people, dearly loved, chosen from among the nations for a divine purpose, rescued out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, set for a divine purpose. Faith in him would bring victory. They could go and take the land, but they were crippled with fear, and they ended up walking and becoming the grasshoppers they saw themselves to be. And I'm not throwing stones at Israel because I understand that. Because this is our story and this is God's word. And fear looms over God's people. And it stops us from walking in the purposes that God has for us. To be insecure is to lack confidence, to lack trust. I lack confidence in myself, but also I don't feel secure about... Uh, about what those around me say, and instead of listening to what God says, I'm listening to what the giants say. And I'm letting them dictate my identity rather than God. There are a couple of the scouts who were quite different, though. They had a different spirit. One of them was a guy called Caleb. Apparently, Caleb means dog, and you get that idea of dogged, dog, like a dog, just, you know? When he's 85 years old, give me the whole country. I can take it. Look, I'm still strong. I can still fight like I could 40 years ago, Moses. Let me go, let me go, let me at him, let me at him. Come on. And he says, well, he tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. You know, they're all starting to get scared listening to this bad report. Caleb says, now let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. We can do this. Let's do it. Why? Because God had said they could. Caleb and Joshua, in the next chapter, they start uh, having this big hui. They have this big hui, this big wānanga. They're discussing it. And, and Caleb and Joshua uh, say, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey, like he said it would. No but with these guys, though. It carries on. They say, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. Literally, 
literally, if you read word for word, it says they are bread. And what, what they're doing is they're saying, you think the land and the people will devour you? No, man, we'll devour them. Well, the message says, we'll have them for lunch. That's what's going on there. It's, about, it's, it's a battle of perspective. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You know, and because of what God has done in Christ, he promises us, never will I leave thee. Never will I forsake thee. Jesus said, lo, I am with thee, even unto the end of the world. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord is with us. Paul, in his last letter, knowing that he's about to be executed because of his preaching of the resurrection of Christ, says, everyone has abandoned me. The churches in Asia, uh, in, in Turkey at the time, had abandoned him. Everyone had abandoned him except Luke, but the Lord stood at my side. And he drew courage. Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit, but the story's not about them. It's not about Joshua and Caleb and their faith. It's about the God that they had faith in. What a God. Seas part. Armies are, are blown away. Uh, uh, food and water are provided in the desert. He provides victory. He speaks and it comes to pass. Fortified walls crumble and giants fall at the hands of shepherds' boys when this God is involved. They're impressive men, don't get me wrong, but they wouldn't want us to be looking at them. They would want us to be looking at the God they're serving. The Lord promises, the Lord battles, the Lord gives victory, and we reap the benefits of what he has done. And so this morning, grasshopper or giant, how do you see yourself? How do you think others see you? Because I think often, you know, we go through life and we become conditioned that, you know, if you want to be loved and accepted, you've got to act a certain way. And if you don't act that way, then you don't get loved and accepted. So we learn how, how, what we've got to do in life. And then suddenly you come to the gospel of grace that says you're loved and accepted. What do I have to do? Nothing. I could live a holy life in that. Yeah, yeah, but... The, the living a holy life is out of a response of gratitude to a God who has saved us of grace. We don't do that so he'll love us. We do it because he loves us. It's different. There's a difference here. A Canadian author, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote a book called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And he tells a remarkable story about Andre Trocmé um, and the resistance of those living in the town of Le Chambon sur l'Union. That, that's, that, that, that's only French I know, that and croissant. Yeah. And you always some other words too, yeah. Um, <clears throat> French fries and stuff. So. But, but living in the town of Le Chambon sur l'Union and how they resisted the, the Nazi-supported Vichy French rule in World War II. And, and so what would happen is basically you've got this Vichy government that's Nazi-supported and these guys in this village just resist it. They're not in, so, so at one stage, for example, Marshal Piton, who's, who's, who's leading the, the government, says, on uh, August the 1st, the bell will be rung in order to honor something that the Vichy want honored. And Trocme says to Amelie, who's the church custodian, nah, don't ring the bell. We're not ringing the bell for that. And then some people complained. And Amelie said, uh, 
The bell does not belong to the marshal, but to God. It is rung for God, otherwise it is not rung. Oh, but Marshal Paton wants it rung. Oh, it's not rung for Paton. And conditions for Jewish people at the time were getting far worse. Quakers were working very hard to get Jewish people, particularly children, out of camps that were set up um, at the time, appalling camps in southern France. And Trocmé volunteered Le Chambon as a place to send these people, these children. And by 1944, apparently, he'd started a school, and the role had increased from 18 to 350. 18 to 350. And you don't have to be a detective to work out where those extra 332 kids came from. They were Jewish children sent to escape, being sent to Auschwitz. Now, in 1942, Georges who was the Vichy Minister of uh, Youth Affairs, he paid a visit to Le Chambon. There's no honor given him at all. But the children had heard about what was going on in Paris at the time. The children of the village. 12,000 Jewish people had been rounded up. They'd been put into camps. They were being detained. Families had been separated. They were being sent to Auschwitz. Uh, Fathers separated from their children. Mothers separated from their children. Families separated. Appalling conditions being set to be sent to concentration camps. The children weren't happy, so they wrote a letter to their minister. And, um, and and, and, And the letter included these words. There's a picture of the kids there. Beautiful children, eh? says, we feel obliged to tell you that there are among us a certain number of Jews. I think because they were Christian, they felt they couldn't lie. This is part of their outworking the gospel. This is, this is how they did it. So we feel obliged to tell you there are among us a certain number of Jews, but we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to the gospel teaching. If our comrades received the order to let themselves be deported or even examined, they would disobey the order received and we would hide them as best we could. This is a letter written by the kids. Malcolm Gladwell sums up the message of the letter. We have Jews. You're not getting them. In Nazi-occupied France, these villagers have no fear. Nazi fascism was a giant. Nazism was a, fa- was, a, was a giant. Fascism was a giant. At that time, these people had no fear. I think the response of Joshua and Caleb in Scripture, the example of Trocme and the people of Ashambon, give us some idea of how to stand strong despite the intimidating presence of powerful and ungodly giants. And the key seems to be our focus, what we focus on, whose report we will believe, where we put our attention. David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David struggled with fear. Read read the first 25 Psalms. But he would travel through that fear and you would let that fear drive him to God. And then you see the confidence come. My son, I remember when he was about seven years old, he came home and he said, uh, Oh, Dad, there was this girl at school and she said, I'm ugly and I'm stupid. And, and I could feel him teetering as to whether or not those words seeped into his spirit or not. And my response, yeah, I don't think it's going to be put in any Christian parenting books at all. But I needed to come down hard. 
I needed to draw a line for him at that stage. And I said, son, look at me. Look at me. His head's down. You know, um, you know Psalm 3. How are they increased to trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I said, look at me. Look at me. You're beautiful. Listen to me. You're beautiful. You're a leader. You're a good-looking boy. But beside the fact you're kind, you've got a good heart. Who knows you better, your father or some seven-year-old clown? Now, now, I don't know this kid from Adam. I'm not dissing the kid. But these are words that would damage his spirit if I didn't deal with it. So that's where I was coming from, you know? So I said, you know, something goes, oh, you, Dad. Who knows you better? You. So who are you going to believe? Your father or some seven-year-old clown? Oh, you, Dad. Okay, cool. Now you want one or two Big Macs? And we go and have them. We eat and we go from there. Which is another reason why I won't be in any parenting books. But, but important, you know, look at me. Look at me. Don't, don't look over there. Don't look over there. Look at me. Look at me. I'll tell you who you are. And so often, you see, so often we, we take our eyes off God and we look over and we hear the giants and we're intimidated and we shake with fear but we've got to turn our eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and all this starts to shrink into perspective. As I learn that I'm loved and I'm accepted. Chokmeh and his fellow villagers weren't intimidated by the giants of Vichy collaboration, of Nazism or fascism. I think their concern was God's honor of the Bella's gods, not Bertans. It's wrong for God. But you might get killed if you don't obey. Oh, well. this, 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 is, this life is just a little blemish of darkness in a great and vast and beautiful universe, and there's a joy set before me. <laughs> That's God's word. I'm sort of sitting there going, oh, really? Okay. You know, but that's for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. There's a joy to come that outweighs anything here. And so, so, so the, their concern was God's honor and walking the righteous path. For Trochme and the others, they weren't concerned with the Nazis or collaborators. For them, it was all about God. Joshua and Caleb said, The Lord is with us, don't be afraid of them. Caleb, 40-odd years later, would say, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord, my God. Now give me the land that was promised. Their focus was God and His glory. Their focus was God and His glory. What filled their vision was God. The giants were bigger than Joshua and Caleb, but God was bigger than the giants. And their, their vision, their hearts were filled with Him. The writer to the Hebrews, I've alluded to this already, he sought to encourage Christians who are undergoing great persecution. Um, and, and in Hebrews 11, there's this great hall of faith, and he says, look, remember Abraham, remember Noah, remember Abraham, remember David, and, and how they had faith that endured through bad circumstances. And there were those who administered justice and closed the mouths of lions and, and sent armies scattered, and we all go, yeah. And then there were others who were jeered at and had their backs opened with whips and were imprisoned. And they too honored God with their faith and the world was not worthy of them. And then we come to chapter 12 and Paul encourages us to, 
to run the race with endurance, not to stumble with sin, not to get intimidated by the things that are around us. And you go, well, how does that happen? And he says, he says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus who initiates and perfects our faith. The champion who initiates. See, the champion... When David went forth on behalf of Israel, he was the champion, God's anointed one. Israel was scared, but the champion fought on their behalf and won the victory. Jesus is our champion. Not about me, not about how clever I am or how holy I am or how hard I work. It's about my champion, Jesus, who initiates faith and will work with me to bring it to completion. Champion Jesus. And we keep our eyes on him. Focusing on Jesus builds our faith. And faith is the antidote to fear. The opposite of fear isn't being brave. It's, it's not trying harder. The opposite of fear is faith. Or think trust. When God says you're loved and accepted, trust that. Trust walking as someone loved and accepted. I'm with you. You can do this. There are times where I've walked blind going, I don't feel that. I don't believe it, but I trust you. Oh, and hello, it was true. Again. Last week, Pastor Sheridan called for us to abide with Jesus, to spend time with him, to stay close to him, to listen to him, to know him. We've got to abide with Christ, rest in him, focus on him, look to him. Mary sitting at his feet. Martha rushing around. Jesus goes, no, she's chosen the right thing. It's not some of us are Marys and some of us are Marthas. Mary chose the right thing. Martha didn't. Sitting at Jesus' feet was the right thing. What's filling her vision? She's not rushing around trying to please Jesus. She was pleasing him, sitting at his feet, listening. Um, Oswald Chambers in his devotional, my utmost for his highest, had this to say. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. In his work, Simplify, Bill Hybels analyzes what he calls destructive fear. And he says, you know, imagine if Paul had been scared of, of persecution and isolation and, and, and didn't forge forward with the gospel. Or imagine if Martin Luther King just made little comments about racism and segregation and didn't really step out and confront it in the way that he did. Imagine Malala Yousafzai quitting school because she was too frightened from the death threats that she received from Taliban extremists because education isn't for girls. But instead, she becomes even more vocal about the education rights of children and women. She survives a, an assassination attempt in 2012 and becomes a Nobel Peace Prize nominee and impacts the world. And then Hybel says this, imagine yourself fully aware of the mission and vision God has placed in your heart to advance his kingdom in this world, yet held hostage to phobias, irrational worries, and destructive fears of failure, harm, or rejection. If you don't fulfill the mission God assigned to you, who will? See, we can go, oh, God will find someone else. Yeah, but my kids don't have anyone else to be their father. 
There's no one else. At the moment, there's no one else teaching theology at Vision College. I'm in that role. Rachel doesn't have any other man who's bound to her in covenant relationship. It's me. What happens if I don't walk in that and I'm bound by fear? And so you step out and you walk in it. I close, as I close. You know, Gladwell makes the point, the powerful are not as powerful as we think they are. The giants are not as powerful as we think they are. Neither are the weak as weak. And, I, and this is all the more so for those of us who are in Christ. Amen? The battle belongs to the Lord. He defeats the giants. It's not you and I trying harder, and if we only believed in ourselves and gritted our teeth, we, He defeats the giants, and we say, thank you, Lord. I believe that you are bigger than these giants, and we just walk behind Him and reap the benefits. And, and our hearts are filled with courage as we see Him moving forward. Um, and this is a work that has been accomplished by the cross. Our responsibility is to have faith, to walk with God, to trust Him, to be led by His Spirit, and to allow His Spirit to transform us so we become the people that God intends us to be. I'd stop listening to what the world says about who I am and start walking in what He says. And we will rest secure. As God transforms us by His Spirit, we will see our giants fall, and we rest secure, and we enter into the blessings and the purpose that our Heavenly Father has for us, for we are overcomers in this life. Amen? Say amen if you believe that. We are overcomers in this life, more than conquerors through the precious blood of Christ, our champion, our King, our Lord. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus soon. But where you are with God, if you want, if you, if you want to, come and stand with brothers and sisters in prayer so we can see those giants fall. I know what it's like to be intimidated by circumstances. and it might be health. might be something going on at work. might be a family situation. might be grappling with kids, whānau. might be fear around finances, whatever it is. But whatever it is, if there's something that's just looming a bit large, just come and stand. We have brothers and sisters stand around you and pray at this time. So let me pray and then we'll sing, and then we'll just open up and we'll be able to pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God of all nations, God of this nation, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that you are great. But in your greatness, Lord, you condescend and you humble yourself and you come down and you care for us. We are engraved on the palms of your hands, Lord, and we are ever set before your eyes, and you adore us with an everlasting chesed covenant or love, Lord, whereby you are, if we are faithless, you remain faithful. You are a good God, and your purposes will come to pass. Lord, I pray over my, my precious brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that giants would fall in Jesus' name, and that you would rise as champion and king in the lives of your people. 
and that they would shed like a reptilian skin, Lord, the misbeliefs and lies that have been imposed upon them from the world in the past, and they would step into the new life that you have for them, walking in the, the ordered steps and purpose that you have because you're a good God and yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. No hoki taranga tiritanga te kaha me te korori. Ake, 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 forever and ever. Lord, let this day be a day where giants fall and my brothers and sisters feel that holler and shout of triumph as they just pursue you into the purposes that you have for them, we pray. In Jesus' name. So let's just sing and just feel if you want, if you feel to come forward and let's pray and let's let's do some business with God this morning. Thank you, Caleb.